I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Another incredible episode. My guest for today is author and friend of mine, Betsy Brenner, who just wrote the book, The Longest Match, Rallying to Defeat an Eating Disorder in Midlife. And I am going to highly encourage everybody to get their hands on this book and read it. It is incredible. The writing is beautiful. And Betsy shares her experience of, for years and years in her life, little bubbling of little eating disorder thoughts and somewhat behaviors. And and then her actual eating disorder did not manifest into a full-blown diagnosis until she was in her 40s. And it's an incredible story. And it's really inspirational. All right, everyone, let's go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am sitting here. I am beaming from ear to ear because I have my dear friend sitting across from me, Betsy Brenner. Betsy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm so honored to have you on the show. And again, you're another example of that like soul connection that you can go a really long time without talking or seeing each other. And then I see your beautiful face on the screen and it's it's as if we were just sitting next to each other yesterday. I feel the same way. It's amazing. Yeah. It's called being present and being recovered, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Betsy, I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, about your incredible book, and we're going to talk about the topic, which is eating disorders in midlife. So Betsy, can you share a little bit about yourself with the listeners? Well, first of all, I am so proud to say I am a published author. It's not something that was ever a goal or a dream, and now that it's happened, it's amazing. My book is The Longest Match, Rallying to Defeat an Eating Disorder in Midlife. It was published in May. And um, before becoming a published author, I'm actually a lawyer by education. I stopped practicing law to raise my children. I have three children. I've been a tennis coach, a high school tennis coach for many, many years. I absolutely love that work on and off the court. I also have run a longstanding bereavement group in my community, which I continue to do so and look forward to getting back in person with that post-pandemic. 
Uh, but right now my focus is on being a published author and getting my message out and opportunities like this to share and talk about such important issues. The book is so beautifully written. And the thing I want to say about it is the entire time I was holding my breath just a little bit because I was like, when is she going to get into where the eating disorder behaviors start really happening? And what's so beautiful about your story, Betsy, is it talks about these underlying things that are happening to us throughout our life. And little behaviors or thoughts kept almost coming to the surface as you share your story. And then they went down. Then they rose up to the surface and then they went down. And it had me sitting on pins and needles. And I know you, I know the story. And it was still like, wow. Share with listeners, first of all, what is it like writing such a vulnerable book about yourself, your life, your family, things like that? Well, as I said, it's not something I ever intended to do or always set out to do. But from the time I wrote my recovery story, which really just focused on my eating disorder and recovery, I'd been told by many people that my story, my life story had the makings of a book if I were willing to put the time and effort into it. And um, a silver lining of the pandemic was literally that time to write my book. Right before the pandemic, I had started working with my professional editor to sort of map out my life. And something that was very important to writing my book was I took time to read through all my childhood journals and diaries, which I had kept throughout my childhood, uh, high school, college, off and on through adulthood. But it became like putting together pieces of a jigsaw puzzle of my own life. I learned so much about myself and that self-awareness, self-understanding made it possible to write my memoir. And without that, I'm not sure I would have had that um, same lens into the past. Certainly, I would have memories. But this gave me details that I had no independent recollection of. And I learned that my anxiety, for instance, that I thought came about in adulthood, went back to my parents' divorce when I was a young child. I learned that the seeds of my eating disorder were planted throughout my life. And like you said, for whatever reason, never took hold until the perfect storm in my 40s. I learned a lot about myself and that self-understanding and self-awareness made it possible to dig deep and write. And um, so I started writing really as the pandemic hit, thinking that this was going to be a long-term project. And I literally wrote my entire memoir from March of 2020 to January of 2021 is when my manuscript was completed. I wrote one chapter at a time. I never forced it. Some days I would write and write. Other days it just wasn't flowing and I would just set it aside. I never felt pressure. Um, but the process of writing was transformative. I was always such a private person, keeping so much inside, sharing only with a very small circle of people, to now I'm literally an open book. And to feel that vulnerable, that authentic, that real, to be able to share my message with others, it's an accomplishment that I'm still, sometimes I can't believe it's real. I can't believe it's happened, but it's been the, the most incredible experience from when I first sat down to read all my old childhood journals to see my published book. There are two things that I want to point out with what you just said. And this is the gift 
of recovery, which is when you were saying you are now like an open book, talk about healing because without giving too much away, your upbringing with your mother was very private. Everything, like, as you said, it was very private life. Everything was also sort of like, it is what it is. Just keep moving forward, put a smile on your face. And here you are saying to the world, it wasn't perfect. And by the way, Betsy, when I say your life wasn't perfect, I mean, your life was human, right? Because mm-hmm. what the other thing I want to point on, and then I'm going to turn it to you, is also in your childhood, your level of perfectionism and drive was quite intense. It's just, that's an understatement. And listen to you now. There are days when I would sit down and write and write and write. And then there are days I would sit down. It wasn't happening. So I would just say, okay, it's not my day. Are these things, beautiful things that you learned about yourself throughout the process of writing this book? It was really recovery from my eating disorder that put me in a place that I could write about my life. I certainly couldn't have done that when I was in the throes of my eating disorder. And through recovery, I learned that I am human here. Like you said, I was raised always having to be perfect and feel like I had to earn my parents' love and approval. But through recovery, I've learned that vulnerability, which I had always equated with weakness, it's necessary. It's human. And the same way I was raised always having to be positive. I thought being strong meant always being positive. And now I understand strength, personal strength, inner strength in a different way. It's being vulnerable. It's being authentic. It's being in touch with your feelings. Had I not gone through recovery from my eating disorder, I would never have been able to write my memoir. So recovery is what has allowed me to be fully present, vulnerable, authentic, be an open book, Um, And also be able to go back and look at my life in a much healthier and different way. I also want to point out the message that came across to me is that eating disorders do not discriminate. It can happen at any time to anyone. And what really looking back on your life, you seem to have incredible friendship groups. You always, you know, in your writing, you talked about all the friends you had in college and friends you had from tennis and friends from law school. You have your your marriage to your husband, who I know, and, and it's a really happy marriage. You have the financial resources. Like, it does not discriminate. And so, and let's also talk about it does not discriminate with age. So, Betsy, can you share with listeners What is it like having gone through life and then behaviors not really manifesting until you were in your 40s? I think one reason, the seeds were clearly planted throughout my childhood. And I still look back and I think, I can't even believe I got through all those things without a full-blown eating disorder. But the seeds were being subtly planted and it took that perfect storm in my 40s, which I can talk about, that brought the eating disorder to the surface allowed it to take hold and began my journey towards healing. It was really the culmination of everything from the past, but the catalyst for healing and going forward, which allowed me to write my memoir. Um, I think you hit on a very important point is that 
I've had a great life, a wonderful education, family, friends, marriage, children. And because of all that, I never allowed myself any negative feelings. I thought, because that's how I was raised, always be positive. I have all these incredible blessings for which I am so grateful but there was no place there for grief or negative emotions or sadness or all these difficult emotions that I just internalized. And I think after years and years and years of internalizing so many difficult emotions and not allowing myself to express anything negative or feel anything other than positive, that could only go on for so long. And it's sort of like, the perfect storm sort of lit the match. And um, so in my 40s, everything just sort of um, came out. Everything I was trying to internalize and keep inside, not even consciously, but subconsciously, it was like the dam broke. And all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with everything. And, but I'm grateful for that because it allowed me to be human. It allowed me to get in touch with all those things that I wasn't capable of getting in touch with and has allowed me to recover and move forward and write my memoir, which wouldn't have been possible without this. Can you share with listeners a little bit about the makings of the perfect storm? And then there was a, a, a medical situation that really was the catalyst to breaking the dam, shall we say. So can you share with listeners a little bit about that? And, and again, what was it like in your 40s when society does not expect men or women or non-binary anybody to be in an eating disorder, start an eating disorder mm-hmm. in their mid-40s? It's, as we've often talked about, it's the college, white, sophomore, young girl with anorexia. I mean, that's always the the picture. So share a little bit about what went into it and then what was it like at your age to be diagnosed with anorexia? I will say that the perfect storm really um, took off when I was diagnosed with asthma in my 40s. All of a sudden, out of the blue, I started having significant shortness of breath. And I'd always been an athlete. I was a nationally ranked tennis player, played D1 tennis in college. I'd always been an athlete and it never had any chronic health issues, physical health issues. Um, And then when I was diagnosed in my 40s with asthma, Um, After all these episodes of shortness of breath and then eventually some significant asthma attacks, all of a sudden my anxiety was through the roof. Anxiety that I didn't even know I had that turns out it goes back to my parents' divorce and I learned through my journals that that anxiety existed. But in my 40s, all of a sudden I have to learn about an illness, a disease that I know absolutely nothing about. I have to learn how to manage a chronic illness with daily medication when I barely ever even took an Advil for a headache. And the hardest part for me was I had to learn to rest. I didn't know how to rest. I was a mother of three, busy, just loved the mom life, going, going, going. But my illness required that I rest and let my lungs just be. And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know anything other than being the on the go mom, I wasn't capable of putting myself first, taking care of myself physically, allowing myself to rest. And um, so with the increased anxiety, and for me, I always needed to be in control. I think that's because so many things happened throughout my life where I felt like I couldn't control things that were happening. So I've always had a need to be in control. And here I had this illness, totally new and foreign to me that made me feel so out of control. 
and not being able to take care of my kids in the way I was accustomed. And at the same time, I just recently gotten back into tennis and tennis was something that gave me incredible self-esteem. It reduced anxiety, reduced mild depression, made me feel good about myself. I had this whole tennis life aside from my family. It was sort of my thing that I did for me. So bring asthma into the picture and I have all these serious flare-ups. Not only do I not know how to rest and take care of myself because I've always been the caregiver, but I can't play tennis, which has become my outlet and source of self-esteem. So that really was the perfect storm. And um, that's when I, for the very first time, remember um, using behaviors with food um, to feel in control and reduce the anxiety. And um, and when I got back into tennis, I lost weight. I didn't need to lose. It, it was just everything coming together. There were some relationships that were strained during that time. I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, but eating disorders do not discriminate. They come in all shapes and sizes, all ages, all genders. And there's so many misconceptions out there. And, um, you know, one of my passions now is making that clear that eating disorders do not discriminate and there needs to be more education and awareness about that. I think, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that people can resonate with this. One of the things that, that I know about you and I've read in the book when you kept referring to this, to the situation that you, you didn't know how to rest. Um, since you were young, you were a go-getter, driven, motivated athlete, very intelligent, did well in school, went right to law school, blah, blah. You know, this was sort played tennis, coached tennis. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. So part of it is your personality. The other part was a defense mechanism because there were so many buried emotional traumas that you didn't want to look at, that it almost fueled your motivation and drive even more. So I'm not surprised when asthma made everything come to a screeching halt, you were like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, all of these emotions are coming up. You probably didn't understand them. You didn't understand the anxiety. And then this is when the behaviors started coming out. What what was it like trying to get support as someone in your 40s with an eating disorder? Well, the first thing I had to, I knew, I knew very little about eating disorders. So when I was first diagnosed with anorexia, I'm like, how can that be? Because I had the same preconceived notions of anorexia that so many other people have who don't know. And yes, I had lost weight. I didn't need to lose um, but I was living my life. There were no medical complications. I was learning how to manage my asthma, living my mom life. Self-care wasn't even part of my vocabulary. So I didn't know how to stop, focus on myself. I needed to take care of my children. I needed to take care of everything at home. I needed to coach tennis. So um, when I was diagnosed, I was not emotionally or mentally prepared to cope with what that meant and that that was an illness, another illness that I had to cope with and that it was so intertwined with everything that I had been through in my life. Um, so the first step was learning about eating disorders, learning about anorexia, learning um, what had led to this diagnosis. Um, but I kept it a secret from everyone. Um, you know, I, obviously I told my husband of my diagnosis, but he also had the same 
um, misconceptions about eating disorders. I kept it a secret from my children. I kept it a secret secret from everyone in my life. I, I, you know, those close friends, people like that, I didn't feel like I, I could share it with anyone. So I really felt like I was living two parallel lives for a long time. Um, my treatment was all outpatient, my therapist, my dietitian. I kept all my appointments. I focused on recovery with them. But when I wasn't at appointments, I was living my life, asthma flare-ups and all, and coaching and being a mom and um, grappling with the anxiety that came from not letting myself rest. Um, so it was almost like I was living two parallel lives. I didn't bring the eating disorder recovery piece and all the complicated factors into my daily life until much later. And, and, and so I guess my next question is, is how, how did you get to that point? Like, what was it like? What was it like sharing this with your children? Um, well, my, my twins who are now in college were very young at the time and I kept it completely a secret from them. Um, and I didn't know how to explain it to them on their level because I was still trying to understand myself. My older daughter, who's now 27, she was high school age um, so it was harder to keep it a secret from her. And we both had a lot of issues we were grappling with. And um, it was very difficult. And it was hard for me to admit any kind of weakness, especially a mental illness. And I think that's part of that shame and secrecy and stigma. And I think the older you get, the more shame and secrecy there is. So I wasn't even comfortable sharing it with the people closest to me because I wasn't yet at a place where I could accept the fact that I had a mental illness that needed treatment. What would you, what advice would you give? I'm, I'm imagining there's, there's people out there right now that are either have kept their eating disorder hidden for most of their life. And now it's really becoming either maybe more obvious or there's it's, it's, you know, their health is declining or like you, they are diagnosed at an older age with an with an eating disorder. What's the first thing you would say to somebody? What what do you how do you advise somebody? Because it is unique, Betsy. We I I've worked in this field for 17 years and it's most of my clients are what we would think of, which is the young, you know, so what do you tell what do you what what advice? My primary message is and this comes out loud and clear in my book, I hope you agree, it's never too late to be a work in progress. No matter how old you are, no matter what you've been through in your life, it is possible to heal, it is possible to recover, but you can't do it halfway. It takes throwing yourself into all the difficult emotions, learning about yourself, learning what contributed to the eating disorder, learning what you need to do to heal, and I clearly remember my dietitian saying to me, it's not enough to want recovery. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes. And I mentor many women in midlife who are struggling. And so many of them want recovery. Who wouldn't want recovery? Why would someone want to stay in an eating disorder? Um, but it's that willingness to do whatever it takes to be with the discomfort, whether it's the food or the emotions, all of the above um, but my message is if I can heal, anybody can heal because I went through so much of my life with so much inside, so much sadness and mixed emotions just below the surface. If I can heal from that trauma this many years later, anybody can. It's never too late to be a work in progress. And that is my message. So let me imagine some other questions that some people would be asking, which is, 
how do you do it when you have three children, a husband, a new medical diagnosis, you are coaching tennis? Like, how do you, how do you do it? I am very grateful for the professional support that I had, an incredible therapist, incredible dietitian. They helped me to understand not only what eating disorders are about, but what led to mine and what I needed to do to recover. I needed to learn that vulnerability was not only okay, it was necessary. I needed to learn that I had to get in touch with all those difficult emotions, everything I had stuffed inside and internalized from growing up feeling I had to be perfect and there was no place for negative emotions. You know, I thought being strong meant always being positive. So not only did I have to learn that all that was a necessary part of recovery, I had to do that hard work. And I I learned through the process that so much of that hard work of recovery really happens between appointments. I would learn about what I needed to do meal plan wise for my dietitian. I would learn what led to my eating disorder and talk about the difficult experiences and events in my life. But in between appointments, I had to eat the food, overwhelming tears and emotions. So I think a lot of the hardest work I did between appointments, but the fact that I had that support from professionals who understood me and helped me to understand myself. I had no idea what self-care was. I had no idea that I had needs of my own. I had always taken care of others, going back to my mom and, of course, with my children. I had to learn that it was okay to take care of myself. It was okay to take care of my own needs, and that wouldn't diminish my role as a mom or a friend or a spouse. Um, It all had to coexist at the same time, even though I tried so hard to keep the recovery path and the family life path separate. Eventually, they had to merge And my children know everything. Of course, now they've all read my book, but they're old enough now to understand. Um, My husband's been incredibly supportive. Um, I've had experiences in my life. um, Besides the asthma, I had a very difficult physical experience that um, really helped my recovery more than anything, um, learning to appreciate and focus on what my body can do. Um, And that was in 2017 and really led to all the positive things that happened, writing my recovery story, sharing my recovery story, and ultimately my memoir. You know, if if it's okay, well, I'm I'm assuming it is because it's in the book. (laughs) So I, I would love for you to maybe share with listeners about what happened in 2017 because this is the epitome of what happens. And forgive me, that's not the best way of saying it, but you or I or anyone with an eating disorder can pretend we have all the control in the world. We can control everything, control our eating disorder, control this, and life still happens. And Betsy, you went through a surgery that was there was nothing you could do to change or control that. So can you share that with listeners? Absolutely. And there's a whole chapter in my book about it. And that chapter is titled Gratitude. And at the time, it was the most difficult thing I'd ever been through in my life. A routine ultrasound showed a tumor on my ovary. Um, Here, my mom had died of breast cancer at the age of 60. My father had died of colon cancer at the age of 56. So I wasn't one of those people like, oh, nothing can happen to me. Um, It was the opposite. So many fears of going through what they went through. 
um, at an amazing physician and she uh, was always so thorough and I had all the diagnostic testing. And at first she's like, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. Let's wait six weeks and see what happens. So six weeks later, it not only was still there, but it had grown and it showed some characteristics that um, made it clear it absolutely had to come out. And um, that the only way to know for certain what it was, she was said, you know, very strong chance it's benign, but no matter what, it has to come out. And the only way to know 100% for sure is to take it out and biopsy it. And in my mind, 99% sure that it was benign wasn't enough. I needed a 100% certainty that what we were dealing with was benign. So that anxiety of not knowing was the worst anxiety I'd ever experienced in my life, um, almost unmanageable. And by that point, thankfully, I was able to reach out and connect and allow my closest friends to support me. I couldn't have done that alone. It was so scary. Um, so I ended up um, about two months after the initial finding of the tumor, having a full abdominal hysterectomy, six inch incision, major surgery, abdominal surgery. I'd never been in the hospital except to give birth to my children. And I had to let go of all control. Um, I relied on the support of my dietitian and my therapist who understood how hard this was for me. Um, my recovery was already getting pretty strong, thankfully, um, and they made sure that I didn't take any steps back. Um, and once I got through the surgery and learned that um, the tumor was in fact benign, I had, I had to recover from major abdominal surgery for two full months. I couldn't do anything other than rest on the couch and maybe walk to my kitchen going up the stairs at night was like looking up a mountain and trying to climb them. Here I'd been playing tennis, you know, five, six days a week and very active and physically uh, working so hard on my recovery and fueling my tennis better and all that. And I had no choice but to rest and to heal. I had no choice but to nourish my body with the food, the protein, everything that my body needed to heal. I had to nurture myself with love and self-care and give my body the rest I needed. So it was almost like the culmination of everything. When I went through my asthma, serious flare-ups, I didn't know how to rest. But with major abdominal surgery, I had no choice. I couldn't do anything other than rest and take very short walks. And that was for two months. And thankfully, the tools I learned in recovery about fueling my body and rest and self-care, I was able to do it. It was hard. But going through that experience and learning that I didn't have cancer just gave me this tremendous sense of gratitude that I would never, ever again deprive my body of what it needed. And I learned the hard way that you only have one body and you have to take care of it and give it what it needs, both nourishment and nurturing. And um, so that very difficult experience was really the most poignant part of my recovery. And ever since then, just this greater appreciation for health and wellness, and that's both physical and emotional. I want to point out, you keep saying I had no choice but to nourish. I had no choice but to rest. You did, 
you had a choice to not nourish yourself. You had a choice to go back into the eating disorder and you chose not to. You had a choice to try to push yourself because, and again, I don't want to give too much away of the book, you kind of tested the limits with your asthma when you first got diagnosed and you pushed yourself. So Betsy, you did have choices, gratefully, from the insight and awareness you had created from your recovery process, you picked the choice that was best for your heart, your soul, your body, your mind, your spirit. But you did have a choice. I think I took what I learned in recovery to help me cope with that feeling that I can't do anything other than rest, but I still need to eat. My organs need fuel. My body needs protein to heal. Um, when I was in the throes of the asthma flare-ups, I couldn't rest because I didn't know how to let myself rest or put myself first. But after major surgery, I physically couldn't do anything. Whereas when I'd have these asthma flare-ups and I'd be told you need to rest, you can't play tennis. I was like a defiant teenager. I'm like, I have to play tennis because in my mind back then I had to play tennis to be able to eat what I wanted to eat. So there was so much of a connection between food and exercise. And I would be very defiant and um, play tennis when I shouldn't play tennis because the eating disorder was in control. But because of my recovery and how strong my recovery was at that time in 2017, I was able to use what I had learned the hard way um, to help my healing from my surgery. How did you, or how were you able to reincorporate tennis in a healthy way and not have it be a compensation of if I play tennis, then I can eat. Or if I didn't, if I don't play tennis, then I can't have this tonight. How did you make peace with that relationship? Shall we say? Um, if I had been younger, my treatment team definitely would have taken away tennis and used it as a reward. You know, you do this, then you can play this much tennis. Um, but because I was an adult, the decision was mine. And like I said, fortunately, medically, I was always stable throughout this. So I never stopped playing tennis. They would have loved, my treatment team would have loved for me to stop. Maybe I would have recovered sooner. So at first it was more on putting limits on it. You know, you can do this amount of tennis, this number of days a week, or no double exercise in one day. So I started with limits and also making sure I fueled it properly. And tennis meant so much to me that that was the motivation I needed to fuel my tennis appropriately. Um, and also making sure there was never any double exercise and learning how, if I were playing tennis that day, to say no to a friend who wanted to go for a walk and be able to say, no, let's get coffee instead. Whereas when I was in the throes of my eating disorder, it's like, okay, I played two hours of tennis. Oh, good. I get to go for an hour walk now too, you know? Um, so it took time through recovery for tennis to have its proper place in my life. I still enjoy playing a lot, but it's now something I do purely for enjoy. I know how to fuel it properly. It's still a source of self-esteem. It's, a, um, led to my coaching job. I have so many wonderful friends and it's still competitive, but I'm also really happy when I have all these other great things going on and it's okay that I didn't get to play tennis that day or even go for a walk. Um, and I understand now that my body still needs that fuel, whether it's a tennis day or not a tennis day. So I think tennis has a um, healthier place in my life 
it's also not my only means of reducing anxiety and helping mild depression. I have other ways now, which are healthier ways of coping. And I think that's what recovery is really all about. Also, it, you know, life isn't going to be perfect just because you recovered from an eating disorder. There's going to be stressors and challenges. And the challenge is to not go back to the eating disorder to cope with it. So through recovery, I've learned other things that bring me peace and allow me um, to reduce that anxiety where in the past the eating disorder would have stepped in to help me reduce the anxiety. What kind of feedback are you getting about this book? And I don't normally ask authors that question. This is a really unique book, Betsy. It's not a, it's not a scholarly professional book where, you know, talking about models and theories and, and evidence base. And it's not your typical memoir. It is something that I have never even read before. And I read a lot about eating disorders. What kind of feedback are you getting from the people who love you? What kind of feedback are you getting from people who have been struggling for years and might finally be reaching out? Anything like that? It has been truly overwhelming in the most extreme positive way. I was so nervous when I first even shared on my social media that I had an eating disorder. I always made it sound like it was something of the past. And when I first shared the cover of my book, I was so nervous what the reaction would be. And it was all positive, whether it was people from my past life, different aspects of my life, people I'm still close to, I got nothing but positive feedback about my courage and my vulnerability and my authenticity and my openness. So that just fueled me going forward. First, I released the cover. And then, um, I, like I said, I was always such a private person. And now to have it out there, to truly be an open book, to share my struggles, I just, it's so freeing. And it just epitomizes being able to be fully present in my life. I've been overwhelmed by the positive response of the people closest to me, my family and professionals all over the eating disorder world, women in midlife whom I mentor. I just, it really has served the two purposes so far. And this is only the beginning. I truly have healed on a deeper level and I have evidence of that. But my other um, purpose is to help and inspire others. And again, get that message out there that it is never too late. So I am overwhelmed by the positive response. Now that the pandemic has subsided, I can't wait to travel and speak and go to in-person conferences. This is, um, it's been my passion for a while, sharing my recovery story. And now I did take the time to expand and um, put the time and energy and effort into it. So I just want to see where it takes me. I've been overwhelmed in such a positive way by incredible positive feedback. And I'm looking forward to a lot of exciting events coming up. I hope there'll be more. I'm curious how you went from being so private, so outwardly letting everybody think everything was okay. You know, you said when you, I, I think you had talked about maybe you had read your recovery story at Meta, which is an incredible organization. You did it at their Hope and Inspiration. And that's when people are like, oh, you could write a book. But Betsy, what even gave you the courage or the motivation to even write a recovery story for something like Hope and Inspiration? That was an incredibly empowering experience. And looking back, that's really what allowed me to shift gears and think about the possibility of writing a book. 
Um, when I was in the throes of my eating disorder, I had attended a support group at Meta and um, I heard about their hope and inspiration program. So that almost made, that became sort of my goal. Wouldn't it be amazing if I could get up there and share my story, but I didn't really think seriously about it. And um, then I took several months to sort of get my story down on paper, cried my eyes out, whereas there were very few tears when I was actually writing my book. Um, and I, I thank the team at Meta that encouraged me and was there that day and um, and then allowing me to share my recovery story at treatment centers all over the Boston area. That's how I first met you. I was just going to say, that's how you and I met. Spoke at all levels of care, and it just touched something deep inside me. It was so empowering. And um, so I think really that was the unintentional catalyst for being able to write my story. And again, the recovery process and learning about vulnerability and authenticity and needs and all that, um, that allowed me to go from being such a private person, so tightly wound to being open and honest and sharing my story. I know we've been talking about all the positive things that have come from writing the book and telling your story. I'm wondering, has any of this been triggering though? Has any of it, this this deep dive exploration into your past, into the eating disorder, things like that, has any of that been really triggering for you while you were writing this? Honestly, it's the opposite. Um, there has been no triggering whatsoever. If anything, it just supports how strong my recovery is because I feel so free and so present and that these heavy burdens that I've been carrying around my whole life, it just allowed me to finally process it and let it go. And it's always going to be there. There will always be some sadness. There's certainly still anxiety. um, And that will always be with me. It's part of who I am, but this whole process has been the opposite of triggering. If anything, it's strengthened my recovery And also it's part of being authentic and honest. And if there ever were something triggering or any steps backwards, I feel strong enough now that I could say, you know what, no matter how strong your recovery is, there's always going to be challenges and maybe, you know, there will be setbacks someday, but right now it's the complete opposite of triggering. It's empowering and it's just strengthened my recovery. And what was the reaction of your three children? reading the book and what was it like handing it over to them saying here you go what was that like because by the way it's not just about the eating disorder it's about all parts of your life your upbringing the the divorce that you went through with your parents well the, that your parents went through that that you were very much put in the middle of there was there's so much that's that's in there what was that like for you and for them Well, my oldest daughter has been supportive since the start. So excited that I was writing a book. She shared it on her own social media. She obviously knew a lot more. So it's been incredible. And I really appreciate all her support and efforts on my behalf. My twins knew about my book, but they were at college. So when they got home in mid-May, my book had just come out in early May. I gave them each a copy. And my daughter, um, the twins are 19. She read it basically in an afternoon and evening. And um, she's not a crier. Like she can watch the saddest movie and not shed a tear. The two chapters, the one in which my father dies and the one in which my mother dies, she had to stop and she cried her eyes out. And I, she doesn't usually exhibit that kind of emotion. Um, they both, my son read it over more time. 
Um, and he's very sensitive and tuned into emotions. And um, they got such a kick out of seeing like how my husband and I met and are dating. I mean, they, you know, there weren't huge surprises overall in the big picture, but for them to learn the details of so many things that they had heard about, just like to read about their parents dating and things like that. So um, it's such a good feeling to know now that there are no secrets. They know everything. I'm literally an open book and it is just amazing to be able to share it with them. And I'm happy they're at an age where I could allow them to read everything, the good and the bad. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. And they know I am far from perfect. The, the truth, the life, they were reading about life. I also want to say as someone who knows you and your husband, even <laughs> I was like reading all through the parts of like you dating and <laughs> when you met. And, and again, these are things that I knew about because I know you. And I was like, oh, I love this. But you know, you and Jeff are very close in my heart, so that could be part of it. But still, and I'm going to be honest with you, Betsy, I read the book in almost a day. It's it's a it's a beautiful read and it keeps your attention. And, and, and it's just it's very well done. And I don't normally say I don't want to be like, good job, Betsy, a plus on the book. I'm saying from a spiritual place, it really captured my heart and my attention the entire time. Thank you. I, I really have heard that from people that they have a hard time putting it down and that it draws them in and they want to know more. And I just wrote it. I mean, I wasn't thinking like that. I just wrote. And um, so that's been very gratifying to hear that from many oh, people. I'm sure it is. I'm sure. Betsy, as much as I hate to say this, we're starting to have to wind down the podcast. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or anything that you want to share with listeners before I turn to your final question. I just want to say how grateful I am to have this opportunity to talk about my book and also most importantly to share my message. And, and it is my passion. I want to help people. I love mentoring women in midlife. I really want those who are ready to give up on recovery to know that it truly is possible and it is worth it. I agree. What a wonderful message. Betsy, it is a pleasure, but I can't let you go just yet. <laughs> My final question for you is, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? That's a great question. Um, hopefully people aren't writing about me on a bathroom stall, but if they were, I, I think that um, there would be words to the effect of, She's very empathetic and very caring and introspective, but boy, she puts it all out there and boy, she's been through stuff. I can't believe she's sharing all that. I think that's a great, great thing for on the wall. Although I think people, instead of saying, I can't believe she's sharing all that stuff might say, I'm so glad and grateful that she <laughs> shared all this stuff. Betsy, it has been a pleasure and an honor as someone who I know, my friend and an author of this really wonderful book. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's truly an honor and a privilege to be on your show. Well, you and I have a lot of talking to do after this recording because we haven't talked in a while. So all right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. 
Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.